Welcome back to the Oklahoma Drill. Uh, today it's just Alex and Ryan uh, here to go over the thorough victory over West Virginia for the Oklahoma Sooners uh, just one day ago as of this recording. Alex, what are your thoughts? Um, I thought that OU did what they were supposed to do uh-huh. mm-hmm. pretty much just throughout the you know entire game I know that you know when we did our kind of preview or whatever we didn't think Austin Kendall was going to play so that was uh, like a, a pleasant surprise that we got to watch him play um, I was expecting to watch Jack Allison play and you know he is just thoroughly terrible at football um, not that Austin Kendall's anything special but I think he's an improvement but um I just, yeah, it was a just a pretty easy game to watch, you know, like there was never really any stress in it. Like, yeah, we didn't score on our first possession, but, mm-hmm. you know, the, it's not like the defense ever let them get behind or anything. Like, it was just a pretty thorough beatdown, and it was, you know, done without really any super flashy plays, too, which I thought was interesting, you know, from just a, right. I mean, offensively there were those but like defensively more specifically like a week after against texas where we were just seemingly in the backfield on every play and you know just causing wreaking havoc throughout the game like it was a little bit more of just a we just executed what we were supposed to do at an extremely high level and it Mm -hmm. kept them from really being able to be successful in really any meaningful way like they had A couple, you know, if you think about the first touchdown they scored, um, that was that involved a fake punt and another fourth down conversion. So that in itself, like, took a lot of work for them to to score that touchdown. Mm -hmm. And then the second touchdown they scored was, you know, they got the ball at the 50 yard line because Drake Soups can't catch, apparently. (laughs) And um, yeah, that's really all it was. And that was right before the half. And like, you know, you go into the half down four or up fourteen, and you know it can go one of two ways in the second half, and it it went the way that it should. We just completely dominated the second half. Right. Um, yeah, it's this is the sort of game that's frustrating to podcast about. There's been a lot of these. Um, mm-hmm. It's you know the offense did everything you could possibly ask it to do. Jalen was basically perfect. Um, and the defense allowed two scores and then almost nothing else besides those two scoring drives. Like, um, I think we saw something we should come to expect to see for big 12 play, um, which is teams are going to be really willing to go for it on fourth against us just all the time, which is sort of predicted after the Houston game. Um, like teams are going to have to go for it against us a lot and they're going to try a lot of things because they know that, um, you know, they're going to have to keep up with this offense. And I think even more than uh, in previous years, because, you know, against our defense, you didn't actually have to try very much at all prior to this year. Um, I think it are like the bag of tricks that teams are going to have to empty to attempt to stay in games with this team is uh, going to be pretty interesting to watch. Yeah, no, absolutely. This is the second time in a row in in Norman that we've seen a team have to throw out a a fake punt to get a first down and they wind up scoring on the drive. Like, I think that that was definitely something Tech did. And, you know, I mean, 
I'm not going to get real concerned about punt or fake punt defense because, mm-hmm. I mean, both times it was they were just in games where it just didn't matter. And I think in closer games, we'll probably be more kind of looking for mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So um, I'm not really concerned about that. But just, I mean, I think that it was, you know, you said Jalen was basically perfect and that was really Kind of, I guess, you know, the number, probably the number two thing I wanted to see. I wanted to see the defense come out and take care of business after a great performance last week. And Mm -hmm. like, because I think about, you know, 2017, there were times when our defense played really well, especially early in the year. And I always think about that Ohio State performance where it was just, it was a decent defensive performance. Yeah, we got lucky in some ways, but overall, we played good defense that night. And then I remember the next week against Tulane, it took us almost an entire half of football to look like we were playing defense again. And so I wanted to see if we would come out slow in any way. And it was really just domination from the very beginning of the game on the defensive side, even more so than the offense. Right. Um, Like West Virginia comes out, essentially runs three wildcat plays uh, to some success. And then the running game disappears for them for basically the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, we made Austin Kendall look really bad, uh, yeah. which of, came to no surprise to you, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, Austin Kendall showed why he was never going to be the starting quarterback at OU. And, like, he is not in a great spot in West Virginia. No. There's not a lot of talent surrounding him. Their offensive line's not great. They have no running game. Um, he would look better at OU, I have no doubt about it. But, like, just watch that guy throw the ball and tell me if you think that guy looks like an Oklahoma quarterback. Like he just does not have the arm to execute what we want to do as an offense. Right. I mean, they had a red zone trip. It might have been their first scoring trip, um, where like one of the first plays they run, they have like the exact look they wanted to get uh, from our defense. Um, and in in terms of like. Uh, you know, they had a guy isolated with space on either side um, on one of the corners. Uh, and, you know, he runs like a he fakes in and then goes out uh, just a quick out. Um, it's like it is a gimme. It like, you know, 100 percent a touchdown. Uh, and, you know, Austin Kendall just overthrows him. It <laughs> just puts it too far to the outside. Guy can't hold on to it. Right. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he is who we thought he was. Like, he's right. he's an okay quarterback. If he's just starting quarterback on your offense, you better have a lot of dynamic players around him mm-hmm. to make him look a lot better than he is um, because he's not going to be able to do it himself. And, like, that was definitely, you know, what we saw on Saturday was it was just a guy that didn't have enough talent around him to kind of make up for his own shortcomings as a quarterback. So, right. Um, can we, I mean, obviously, you know, Jalen Hurts was the star of the day. He had five touchdowns in total, three passing touchdowns, two rushing. Um, you know, the if you just, I was kind of looking before this podcast, just his raw numbers that he's accumulating through the year. And they're just numbers that you're, you've just never seen before. Um, like this guy is on pace to go for about 4,000 yards through the air and like 1,400 yards on the ground, which is just insane to think about. And right. uh, um, I, I tend to think, like, I, I get, you know, I've, I've kind of started thinking about the, the Heisman race and all that. And mm-hmm. obviously I think Joe Burrow is probably the leader at this point. But yeah, to me, I'm like, 
if OU is undefeated and Jalen's got like over 5,000 yards of offense and like close to 60 touchdowns, how does he not win the Heisman? Like it just would be ridiculous for a guy that's putting that many just that's so much production like i that's just unparalleled right and for a guy like that to not win the heisman would be kind of insane yeah it would be like at that point the situation is uh you know oklahoma quarterbacks aren't allowed to win the heisman anymore like that like that's the only decision from the voters that i could that like make would make sense to me in that situation it's just like oh at this point it's pretty clear that it's just too easy to be the quarterback at oklahoma uh, which should uh, they should be dissuaded every time they turn on a fourth quarter and see Tanner Mordecai, um, which is another thing about Jalen's stats is that this is sort of like the Tua thing from last year, where early in the season, like the, his edge over Kyler was that they were you know putting up similar production and then like Tua was only playing three quarters of a football game. Uh, that and that's really like where Jalen is right now. Um, he. <sighs> He played to the end of the Texas game, and that's it, I think. Yeah, that's the only game he's played all four quarters. And, like, think about how big his numbers would be if he had to put up huge numbers. Like, if it were, like, previous years and our defense was struggling, you know, he would Mm -hmm. be having to put up 50-something points a game, and his numbers would be even more bananas than they already are going to be. So it's just kind of, it's incredible how efficiently he is dominating just any defense that's put in front of him right now. So, right. And I, I guess I, well, we can talk about that later. Sorry. Um, I do want to talk about, we need to talk about the running back position because right. it's one of the weirder things that's happening on this football team right now. Um, because, I mean, on the positive side of things, I think it seems pretty obvious that Kennedy Brooks is kind of the the go to running back right now. Like he's his production is just better than the other two guys mm-hmm. and he's just he's getting more opportunities to show it. And like on his touchdown run yesterday, like he showed balance that, that very, very few players in college football have. And, you know, it really seems like he's he's coming into his own on this season and mm-hmm. I expect a, a pretty breakout into the season like he's had a pretty quiet first half um but i'm thinking that you know that's going to change pretty quickly um how how are you feeling about just let's just say how you feel about kennedy brooks right now at this moment like he he seems much improved to me right um you know it's i think part of the difficulty with evaluating the running back position right now is that uh, the way the offense is set up it really feels like whoever is there is really running back too um yeah, behind Jalen. Yeah. Um and so but I think Kennedy Brooks has demonstrated everything he demonstrated last year. He's like a perfectly competent and suitable running back um who's got the combination of speed and protection and um hands out of the backfield that is required to play this position at Oklahoma. I think he's you know he's demonstrated that he is a perfectly acceptable complete package. I don't think he's quite the um, you know, he's n- certainly not having the set. I don't expect him to have the sort of second half of a season that Rodney Anderson had in 2017 or anything. Um, but I, you know, he's, I think he's going to be perfectly capable of doing everything asked of him, which is going to be averaging like six yards a carry. Yeah. 
or yeah, I mean, he's, he's averaging, I think eight yards on the season, which right. is actually lower than it was last year, which is hilarious. But, <laughs> um, all right. So, I mean, Trey Sermon is what's happening with him is to me the most, it's the most interesting thing that's going on with this football team right now. And right. not in a, I'm super concerned about it. I'm just, I would just say I'm confused. Like it's not, I mean, I'm not concerned that we have Kennedy Brooks playing at a really high level and we have Ramondre Stevenson playing well. I'm not concerned about that. I'm just confused as to why, you know, against Kansas, you know, Trey Sermon got 11 carries and he was our leading running back. And then against Texas, he got zero carries. And I think against West Virginia, he had like one or two non-garbage time carries. So I'm very confused about what's happening there. Well, to me, um, you know, I look at this and I don't think he's playing poorly. You know, obviously we can't really see how he's playing in practice um, or if that's influencing it at all. But like, I don't know, it almost feels like because it's not like he'd ever, he didn't see the field on Texas. He was, you know, he was the running back for several drives and it's just the ball never came his way. Um, I, th- I think a lot of it is uh, down to. You know, obviously, we think of Sermon as being a really good fourth quarter back. Um, but, like, that's not even a role we've needed. Because um, you don't, like, we've had, apart from against Texas, um, where, you know, I, again, it's, you know, this is, like, that's the confusing to me is him getting no carries in the fourth quarter against Texas. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, his ability that was, was always to you know be able to kill a game and the games have been dead by the time like that has been necessary um you know and when you're trying to get snaps for tanner mordecai and you're trying to get the ball around to you know your second string of wide receivers you know being able to kill a game that's already over isn't really uh necessary um so yeah i i i you know, I wonder how much of it is him getting surpassed by Kennedy Brooks and Ramondre Stevenson, and how much of it is just like you know, it's he's kind of been unlucky in terms of uh, when the ball has come his way. Yeah, and I, you know, watching Ramondre Stevenson on Saturday, like he, I thought he probably looked the worst out of the running backs that played. You know, he obviously right. he finished four carries for one yard, and it wasn't just you know his numbers; it was really the fact like he just watched a couple runs and he just was he seemed a little timid to me he like Mm -hmm. he didn't seem as decisive as he has previously and I know that there were a couple times where there were holes that he could have hit and he just didn't hit them um but I mean this guy is you know a first year player at Oklahoma so it's not something that I'm super concerned about it's really his probably first bad game of the season um Mm -hmm. if you even want to call a guy you know only getting four carries a bad game but um I just, I'm just interested because, you know, like Trey Sermon's been the guy and, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe the fact that we actually have the defense now that kills the game for us. So we don't have the offense doesn't have to do that too. Like we've Mm -hmm. been in situations where the offense has to win the game and in the game in the previous years. Right. And, you know, now it's just one of those deals where, you know, the, the offense, scores and the defense kills the game off you know like there's just they kind of kill the other team's hope of of being able to win the game because they're just not giving up points like they have been um it's kind of interesting like you know 
every every week we've talked about the games and it's just like well i mean other than texas where it was like man we should have won this game by more every other game it's just like well this game is pretty straightforward we beat the crap out of them and it's kind of like this is exactly what we thought it would be like if you put a, a decent defense with this offense you know, right and this is it before our eyes like it it honestly leads to a lot of boring football. <laughs> like, right. It's honest. yeah. I think we're starting to see. Um, and the surprising thing to me is that this is happening in two places at once. Um, but you have these two death machines in Alabama and Clemson, and I think we're starting like we're gonna, you know. And this is you know college football is very volatile, so this might be completely wrong. But it really looks like we're going to run into a we're looking at a future where there are going to be good teams. There are going to be Georgia and there's going to be LSU and there's going to be, you know, Penn State uh, and, you know, Michigan some years through Pac-12 teams some years. But then there are also going to be these four death machines that completely control their conferences and will always go to the playoff. Um, I, and you look at Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State and Oklahoma right now. Who in their conferences can touch them, apart from like Alabama with its banged up defense and LSU being on fire right now? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, obviously OU and and Clemson are the most, there's more separation between them and the rest of their conference, Mm -hmm. Um, which again, I'm really looking forward to talking about Texas on this podcast because (laughs) that was was fantastic. Um, But, you know, obviously, I think, you know, maybe we might be going into an era where LSU isn't hopeless offensively, and I think that will kind of potentially. Yeah, that's a real, that's a really interesting time. <laughs> I'll yeah, say that. Yeah, if they can, I mean, if they can play offensive consist offense consistently, like they're probably on a you know an average year going to have a better defense than they do this year. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they don't even have to be as good offensively as they are this year. Um, to kind of put themselves in that conversation with Alabama. So, and then, you know, obviously Georgia is, you know, probably in a little bit of a down year right now, but they're still one of the most talented teams in the country. So, like, Alabama is probably at the most risk of not being a death machine. And that's weird to say because it's freaking Alabama and they're like the most longstanding death machine in the history of college football. Um, right, I, and I talk about their defense falling off. They're seventh in S and P plus. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, it, and it's not just you know like just the the programs that they're having to compete with are just better than the programs that Oklahoma right. and Clemson specifically. You know, I think Penn State and you know, not Michigan necessarily, but I think Penn State is in the realm of Ohio State, and I'm interested to watch that game later this year. Um, you know, if Ohio State blows the doors off Penn State, then yeah, okay. But I think Ohio State is maybe not as in much danger as Alabama is, but I think that they are there. I think OU and Clemson are in the best situation. Right, I agree. Um, it's you know, it's just man, you look at the you look at the top of this, uh, you look at the top of the country in terms of teams. Um, you know, I look at, I'm looking at the S&P plus rankings and you've got, I mean, Ohio state fifth offense, first defense, Alabama, third offense, seventh defense, Oklahoma, first offense, 27th defense, uh, Clemson right now is 12, 12th offense, third best defense. Like, you know, these teams that are 
you know, really good on both sides of the ball at this point. Oh, I, I still feel like Oklahoma's rank is held back by their preseason projection, which is like in the 60s and 70s. Um, right. So that's they're potentially even better than that. They're, you know, you're talking about confidently a top 25 defense for Oklahoma. And also Oklahoma's offense is the best unit in the country. So, um, and yeah, I just, you know, and, you know, in there in S&P Plus, you have LSU and Georgia who are both having great years. Um, Georgia's is marred, obviously. Um, and then Wisconsin, obviously, also uh, dealing with um, a pretty embarrassing loss after this week. Um, and yeah, I just, there are four teams that are better than every other team in their conference and probably will be for the rest of time. That that obviously that's an exaggeration because this is college football and like I said it's really volatile. But save massive coaching changes um, or like a failure to recruit at a critical position. There there is a there is a top four developing in college football that's going to be hard to crack. And like you like and I, the thing about this is that you know. Of these teams, the most death machine team of all time is Alabama, and they're the they're the only ones who really have a competition at this point. Yeah, it's, no, that it's kind of crazy. And like right. I know people are talking about how um, you know, the parity just isn't there, and I, I just disagree with that statement. And you know, it, it's pretty much college football. That's just is how this is operated. But right. I will say, yeah, it is interesting, and it's going to be just painfully obvious because instead of just having polls at the end of the year to tell you that, oh, yeah, it's the same four teams, like the mechanism that decides the national champion could just be the same every year, and that's what I think is going to cause people to a little bit to be a little bit uneasy about it because right. it's not just the AP poll telling us, yeah, we think these were the top four teams. It's like these four teams had a chance to play for the national championship. Right. You know, that's a lot different than it is with just polls. Right. And it's, and that's the thing I find really interesting about the playoff is, you know, we put the, we put this in the situation and it's, you know, this is a refinement of the BCS, which had the advantage of being nebulous in terms of, you know, it, it's, you know, it was probably as lacking in parity as any other time in the history of college football. But, you know, you had computer polls that nobody understood calculated in, in addition to, you know, anonymous voters. The playoff has done its best. It, it's failed at points, but it, as I'm going to explain, like those failures are kind of successes. They've done its best to seem objective and understandable. Um, and that might be a real problem because if it is objective and understandable that there are four teams that have a chance to play for a national title ever, then like the, those teams' chances, those teams' um, advantages are only going to increase. You know, if Oklahoma is your only shot at making the national title, why would you go to Texas? Why would you go to Tech? Well, I mean, you go to Texas because you're you're brainwashed into <laughs> because the stars at night are big and bright. That's yeah. Why. I mean, I don't know. I think you know, obviously, what Texas, you know, just from a parity standpoint, it will help if if Texas has the Texas has every bit of potential to be a better program than Oklahoma. They've never done it before. 
but they have the potential. It's not impossible for that to happen. Florida State, as recently as like four or five years ago, was functioning at a higher level than Clemson. Like it's it's something that's not impossible for them to pick back up. And there's a lot of SEC teams capable of on a given year competing with Alabama. So I guess I I don't think it's quite that much a a thing, but it'll just be interesting to see. And it's yeah, I'm really happy that OU is one of those four teams because it would kind of suck to be on the outside looking in right now. Right. Well, and I I guess this is sort of the thing is that the playoff setting the because you know there was before that the playoff there was the champion and there was everybody else and there were teams who thought they should have won they should have won but they didn't um you know you had the national title game and it was one versus two and sometimes it was competitive and sometimes it wasn't now there's four teams and all four of these teams are accepted as being generally deserving of a national title and you know we there was you know the first year you had Oregon and Florida State in the mix um and since then there was michigan state who didn't belong washington who didn't belong and notre dame who didn't belong um yeah uh, apart from georgia you know you have so there's there's five teams that have been to the playoff and look like they belonged yeah um yeah no, it's it's true. And I'm one thing one thing I'm really interested in too, like I'm interested to learn about myself in what's gonna happen to my interest in the team. I mean, I'm sure I'll still be interested, but the next time OU doesn't make the playoff, like I don't know how I'm gonna react. Like because right. it's I know that the playoff has changed me as a college football fan probably more than anything that's ever happened in college football, honestly. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see like, oh crap, we went 10 and two this year, or we went 11 and one and actually got left out because there were other teams that were more deserving. Like I, right. it's going to be, I don't, I'm going to react to that kind of situation. Um, but we'll, hopefully we don't have to, to find out anytime soon, but, and we're definitely set up. Right. And these are criticisms that were levied at the playoff at its inception of the idea that it would like devalue the rest of the postseason. Um, and well, I don't think that's necessarily true. Like the bowl games uh, in the playoff era in general have been great. Um, the uh, you know, there's been a push. I think adding that extra game at the very top has helped just shuffle the other matchups around in ways that have been interesting um, and produced good games and very bad games. Um, but you know, we're getting three or four years into this. A pattern is emerging, and like like I said, I really think it's going to affect recruiting. Yeah, I mean it. I, I recruiting is is such a top heavy thing, and like there's obviously I think there's a lot of changes coming for college football in general that probably will only make the separation between the high class programs and the not so high class programs even bigger with you know the whole California thing like. I think that there are is there are some really interesting changes coming, but um, anyways, let's let's get back to to West Virginia. Do we have any final thoughts about that game? Um, I was uh, just in terms of you know things to pick at. Uh, defense didn't get a ton of pressure. Um, yeah, 
but uh, yeah, I mean, at the same time, they were pretty disruptive. Um, you know, it's not like yeah, not, you know, sitting not. in clean packets all pockets uh, all day. Yeah, it definitely seemed like it was a little bit more of a conservative game plan than against Texas, which that's fine. Like you're playing a less talented team, like you probably don't have right. to force the issue. Right. Um, Grinch in his uh, Grinch in his post game conference said he was disappointed that we've gone three weeks without a takeaway. Um, yeah. Which sure. Uh, is art is this something that you are concerned about? Because I think there is something to the idea that you know this is Grinch's number one thing. Like he wants to force turnovers, and it is ridiculous. Like he emphasizes that over everything else, and he's talking about how. He's never been in this situation before where he's emphasizing it as much. They're playing as well as they are, and they're still not getting turnovers. Like, is this just a a luck thing that's probably going to revert at some point in a really timely manner in all likelihood? Um, Or is it something that, like, yeah, it's just something that they can't fix everything in one year? You know what I mean? Like, because last year we went from – being the least disruptive team ever that couldn't force anything. And now at least we're, you know, wreaking some havoc and just the turnovers aren't able to be part of that yet. Right. Well, I, I mean, turnovers are partially luck. Um, you can create turnover opportunities, but you're always going like your ability to convert those um, is not going to stray far from a national average. Um what I look at when I think of these turnovers is I look at Grinch's diagnosis. And he says, you know, in his opinion, we're not getting turnovers because um, cornerbacks aren't reacting to the ball being in the air fast enough. Um, and, you know, if that's the thing, that's coachable, that's fixable. Um, uh, and, you know, part of getting a turnover is you need to be able to create opportunity, you know, and... And the other thing about that is that cornerbacks increasing their awareness of when they're being thrown of, you know, understanding earlier that the pass is coming their way that will make them better turnovers or not. So, you know, I'm not worried that we're chasing a phantom in terms of coaching or anything. Um, I, my suspicion is that if Grinch is able to, you know, continue the success he's have, we will see more turnovers because the defense will play better. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I just think about how much improvement we've seen already from the corners. And if there's truly another level to where they can get to where it's not just, you know, reacting and batting the ball away, but being able to react quicker to where you can put yourself in position to actually catch the ball. Mm -hmm. Like that's really, really exciting kind of thing to think about because I mean, we're already really effective right now. You know, like things are, are going really well for the, like Parnell Motley's playing great. Trey Brown is getting a little handsy, but I'm again, I'm not concerned about that kind of thing because, I mean, Grinch himself says if you're not getting any pass interference or holdings, you're not playing good defense. And I, right. I just and I yeah and I it's you know pass inter pass interference in the Big Twelve is a touchy subject on this podcast, obviously because it should be a touchy subject anywhere. It's you know a nonsense rule that is implied about as inconsistently as anything in football is anywhere. Um, but the, the biggest aspect of that, uh, the difference to me um, between a team getting pass interference call, between our team getting pass interference calls this year versus like last year is, you know, it's not like a situation in which we got beat and have to make up for it, which is what those calls were frequently last year. Um, 
it's, you know, if you're setting out and you're saying, okay, I'm going to force the issue. I'm going to play physically and find what the limit is. Um, you know, you, you'll actually probably get called less because you'll be, you know, you'll have a better understanding of what the limit is other than, and instead of just having to quickly, you know, make a split second, oh shit decision um, every time you get beat. Yeah, no, I really agree. Like, I think that that was literally what it was. It was, there was a lot of, oh shit in our secondary last year. And mm -hmm. it, it always resulted in just like trying to stick your hands up at the last second, not even remotely trying to find the football. It's just like, oh fuck, oh fuck, I'm beat, I'm beat. What do I do? What do I do? And that that's how you get a lot of silly pass interference calls that bail out the the offense. And this year it is like we are our corners are trying to direct where the receiver is able to go. Like it's right. from the very beginning route, the defender is part of that equation. Whereas before it was like, you know, we're probably five, at least five or six yards off. So we're going to be able to get up to a pretty good speed without even being touched. And now that's just not the case. So, yeah, I think that that it's, it's great to watch. Like I, I really enjoyed watching guys like Parnell Motley, like a guy that I just was straight up out on before the year started. I was like, mm -hmm. I don't think this guy's ever going to play consistently good football. And like, he's put an entire season of consistently good football together so far. And like that's it's been awesome to see like and it just shows you how much coaching matters, you know, like it's easy to get caught up in just recruiting rankings and like, well, you know, we've got guys that are like three and four stars. Well, we need four and five star guys, you know, but that like you can have all the four and five star guys you want if they're not being coached in an even remotely correct way. They're not going to look good. Right. Well, like you look at. You know, you talk about a five-star guy, Buki last year versus Buki this year. Now he's a year older, you know, he's a year more developed. But even in this season, we've seen him improve. Um, you know, I think the Texas game was absolutely the best game of football he's ever played. Um, and he brought a lot of that to this game, too. Like, you can you just see it in his style of play, his awareness, um, uh, his ability to read pre-step motion and take things away. Um, I don't know if this was if he was involved in this play at all, but uh, you know, thinking about this more generally, there was a specific play in uh, yesterday's game that really, to me, was like a perfect example of like last year we would have given up like 18 yards or a touchdown on this, um, and it was you know it was a play design that um, honestly the defense should be very familiar with because it's the sort of thing our offense does all the time. Uh, slot receiver comes uh, in pre-snap motion across the formation to the weak side um there's a you know a re and it's an rpo uh with uh the outside receiver on the weak side running a slant uh and you know we follow the motion perfectly take away what take away any sort of screen action on that play um you know we deny the handoff and then you know the so the ball goes to the receiver on the slant and you know it gets batted down it's like that was perfectly defended uh and you know there are like three or four points where last year's defense could have committed a critical error on that play yeah no absolutely and you know there there were i you know back to buki like that guy has improved a lot during the course of this season like because i remember right. after the ucla game we were kind of like yeah we were you know, talking we're about when we were going to see jeremiah Cradell. Yeah, we were like, we need to find a guy that can physically do the things we need that position to do. 
and it's just completely changed. Buki looks, he looks like he's just getting to places faster. Like he's always kind of been able to get in pretty decent position, but he seems like he's getting there faster to a either prevent something from happening in the first place or able to get there and make the play while he is there. You know, like there was a couple bubble screens yesterday that like, I remember one vividly, he was, you know, it was a bubble screen out. He was getting blocked and he was still able to bring the receiver down who was bigger than him. Like it was just a play that I was like, wow, earlier this season, Buki wasn't doing that. So it's pretty cool to see how much he's improved in a short short period of time. Yeah, I agree. Um, You know, I think to me that the play I, outlined is like that to me is my takeaway is like oh okay like we can face you know good play design like really good play design um like probably the standard of play design um in college football i would is something surrounding a play that like combines the concepts in that exact way and we just defended it perfectly competently at every position um and yeah like this defense is good this defense um you know, I what like what what is the defense's biggest weakness at this point besides like depth at a linebacker? Um, I wouldn't. I mean, I I'm interested to see like if you know if we play a truly elite passing team, like if we can right you know, from front to back take care of of what we need, like because you know we played texas and our we handled their big receivers reasonably well but like they had sam ellinger throwing to them like so i'm interested to see like against the elite teams you know let's say lsu or whatever can we defend that kind of team like it's you know maybe we can and and so far what we've seen this year we probably you know we can but until i see it actually happen i'm i'm going to be interested in that and that's probably what i'd lean towards as being our biggest weakness because i'm pretty comfortable against most teams of what we've got up front, even teams that are big and physical. I think we are athletic enough to kind of make up for our, maybe some size disadvantages that we have. And we're also pretty deep up front. So it's not like we're going to be just get worn down over the course of the game. From, right. Like, from and a, I talk about, tour. I talk about linebacker depth, but like David O'Gregman and uh, Brian Asamoah have both been playing incredibly. Yeah, Nick Benito's come in and like I mean we didn't have John Michael Terry yesterday and we didn't miss right. him. You know, that was that was interesting. And I mean, yes, our backup middle linebacker situation is I guess reasonably concerning. Like we might have the best middle linebacker in the country. Right. But yeah, we don't have a backup that can come in and play effectively over the course of a full series i don't think like i if we've got brian mead out there i am gonna be concerned so i i've been kind of banging the drum that i think we need to figure out a way to play move deshaun white to that backup role Mm -hmm. and just kind of have a three-man rotation at linebacker with asamoah coming in and like or let's have asamoah or ryan jones maybe try to play the mic because They've both at times, I mean, Asamoah looks great right now. And Ryan Jones at times has looked really good this year too. So I think that, you know, we have three kind of inside, or we have four inside linebackers that I feel reasonably comfortable with on the field. It just, but it just happens that three of them play the same position and we don't have a for our mic. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, 
do we have any more West Virginia thoughts? I don't think so. I mean, it was just, it was a good performance. Like, I mean, we got another block punt for a touchdown, you know, mm-hmm. shout out to, you know, uh, Braden Willis, like that guy, that's the second block punt of his career. So that's, that's cool to see. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was good to see a little bit more of Trajan Bridges and Theo Weiss. Theo Weiss had that nice catch from that great throw from right. uh, Jalen Hurts. So that was cool. Um, yeah. I, w- I guess one more thing about uh, Jalen is uh, his he threw a different kind of deep ball today than we've seen a ton of, um, which is like a really proper like over-the-shoulder um, deep ball to the sideline. Um, yeah. And it looked incredible. That Lee Morris touchdown was astonishing. Everybody should go back and watch that play many times because A, like that's an incredible throw. And B, Marquise Hayes makes a like galaxy brain offensive line play um, to keep the pocket clean. Uh, It's just awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's something that we, I mean, the offensive line is starting to look like an OU offensive line. Like, I think that's really important. And that to me, like, if that happens and we don't sustain injuries up there, we're not losing to anybody in this conference. It's just not going to happen. There's nobody like, do you really think Baylor can line up against our offensive line for four quarters and not break? There's no way like they're they've got some decent guys up on their defensive line, but they don't have the depth be able to withstand four quarters of us leaning on them. And especially with a guy like Jalen Hurts running at them. Like, they don't have right. that. Iowa State. Iowa State's built to defend the pass, really. And if they're, they're dropping eight and trying to play three men up front, like, we're probably going to be able to lean on them pretty effectively. And I will say it for another time. Like, playing Iowa State later in the season is going to help us this year because – the last couple times that we've struggled with them, it's been early in the season before we really discovered who we are as a team. And mm-hmm. by the time we play Iowa State in three weeks, we're, we're going to know exactly who we are. We already know exactly who we are. And we're going to beat the shit out of Iowa State. We're going to beat – that's – I'm comfortable. Like, I watched Baylor play Oklahoma State yesterday, and Baylor's probably going to be undefeated when we play them in Waco. And right. that's going to be probably a night game. Game day might be there. We're gonna beat them by four touchdowns because <laughs> they're gonna have our they're gonna have our attention. Like I was moderately worried, just like oh, if they come in, you know, five and three or whatever the record is, or you know, six and four. I don't know what their how many games it'll have been, but if they came in with three or four losses, they might be able to sneak up on us because you know Charlie Brewer can get hot. But if they're undefeated coming into the game against us, we're gonna beat the shit out of them. Like they have no they have nothing for what we have to offer. On both sides of the ball. Their offensive line is a mess. They can't protect Charlie Brewer at all. And they're not going to be able to hold, hold up against our offense at all. So I'm not worried about it. Um, yeah, we're going to go undefeated. I said it last week. It's going to happen. Right. And, I mean, you look at Baylor. Like, they're undefeated. But that's, like, an overtime victory and a Spencer Sanders, like, collapse for the ages from them having two losses already. Yeah, yeah, Oklahoma State's not any good. Spencer Sanders, terrible. And I uh, just want to say, I watched him against Oregon State and called it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. It's just not, he makes the worst. He is like Sam Ellinger when he was a freshman, except like times 10. Because right, he does like, it more often. Like, Sam Ellinger did 
a stupid thing like every game. Spencer Sanders does like five stupid things every game. Right. Spencer Sanders to me is like a true video game quarterback in that, uh, you know, <laughs> he is he like he is the sort of video game quarterback in terms of like this is a video game being played by somebody who is about to, you know, turn it off and yell. This is bullshit. Um, right. He just every his fumble to really seal the end of the game against Baylor is like a perfect encapsulation of him as a player because he was dead to rights. He should have just gone out of bounds. He could, they could have kept their drive alive and maybe done their best to try and get back in it late. Um, and instead he cuts back into the field with time ticking down and gets clobbered and loses the ball. Like he, that was, he was 100% certain that he could make the impossible happen and he just cannot. Right. Yeah, no, he he just it's baffling to watch him play football. It's also really fun to watch him play because you just know something's going to happen and you just can't look away. Um, I also like as an Oklahoma State student. I'm 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 wondering what how much longer could Mike Gundy keep doing what he's doing? Like he's done a bad job. This is the third year in a row that he's done a bad job. And I'm just curious of how much longer this can keep going because this right. is year. Like I remember at the Big 12 media day, like he was like, "Oh, I feel energized. Like last year's disappointing season really energized me. Right. I'm really excited for this year." And it's just, it's even worse than it was last year. Right. They played Taylor Cornelius for a year to save Spencer Sanders for this. Yep. Yep. They did. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. And like the thing about it too is that I, I just fundamentally disagree with what they're doing to Chuba Hubbard. Like I think that yeah. it's borderline, it's like unsafe what they're asking him to do. Like, and I know well, that sounds well. Super I, to me, what I look off. at is I, yeah, I think back to like, and this isn't like this is a very loose comparison, but look at like 2014 Oklahoma and Samaji P Ryan. Um, right. And look at what's happening. Like, look at Samaj P. right now. Like, <laughs> Josh Heupel yeah. wore all the tread off of him his freshman year. Like, yeah. I mean, and we know, like, running backs do not need to carry the ball more than 25 times a game. Like, it's just not something that you should do to a college kid. Like, you right. are literally, you are basically taking years off of Chuba Hubbard's pro career so that you can have a better chance to go seven and five than six and six. Like right. it's pretty ridiculous. And I, I think that, you know, more people should be kind of on them for that because it's just, it's just not a good thing to do. You know, like he is right. going to go pro after this year, but he's going to go pro after having probably over 400 carries this year. And that's insane. Right. Yeah. And it's not going to, and they're not going to win anything. No, it's, it's like Wisconsin is going to compete for a Big Ten title, probably. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how the West is going to shake out now that they have a loss. You assume they'll probably still yeah. end up on the top. Um, yeah. But so, you know, whatever they do with Jonathan Taylor, um, who is still if being talked about as a Heisman candidate. But they don't give they don't give Jonathan Taylor this many carries. Like, right. That's that, the other thing. In games that they blow the doors off people, they take it easy on him. Like he does not have anywhere near the carries that that Chuba Hubbard has this year. Yeah, it's, it's really something. And, you know, it's new days at Oklahoma state with, um, 
T Boone dying. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, really, it, like it's an open question now. I think what happens um, yeah. because you know we talk about you know <laughs> obviously we're very critical of the job Gundy has done probably the past three years, um, and yet this is the best Oklahoma State has ever been. Um, under like comparatively, like like you can look back to the years they were lucky enough to have Thurman Thomas and Barry Sanders in a backfield together. Yeah. But apart from apart from that, you're like, this is the most consistent success that that they've ever seen, and it feels like it's coming out of thin air because it is the school in Stillwater. Well, what I will say too, though, like, and if you sit talk to a, an Oklahoma State fan or even like an Oklahoma State employee, like, what they will sell you is. Yeah, this is the best era of OSU football ever, but it's also the only era that we've ever really funded it in a like top-notch way. You know what I right. mean? It's and, like it's there's a degree to which this is the success they expected as a return on their investment yeah, on T Boone's investment. Yeah, T Boone he put in all of that money because he thought Oklahoma State had the potential to become a national championship program, and like I know they bought the 1945 national championship and whatnot, but like. I'm pretty sure he meant that he wanted them to win one <laughs> post him donating all that money. And I, right. I don't think they are getting closer to that goal at all. I think they are definitely moving in the wrong direction. And I don't think – for the first time, this is the first year that I truly do not think that Mike Gundy is the guy to get them there. Like there might not be a guy to get them there, but I, I definitely know that Mike Gundy is not that guy. Right. They're currently ranked 39th in recruiting in the country. Like you just that can't happen. No, not not when you're in the Big 12. Not when you have the access to Texas they have. Not when yep. you're competing against other schools that have that same access to Texas. Yep. Yeah. No. They they should be able to find better talent. They should recruit the state better. They do a terrible job of recruiting in-state players, and it it really it, it's unfortunate. Like and like I mean I'm obviously. I find entertainment in OSU underachieving and it's funny, but like, it's just, I think it's finally time for, for Oklahoma state to move on from, uh, from Mike Gundy. Let's, let's kind of stay with this because there's another program in the big 12. That's kind of, I think maybe going through something similar. You know who I'm talking about? Are you talking about Texas Christian university? I'm talking about Texas Christian university. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess a question I have for you, like, I don't know if we've talked about this before. I can't remember. Um, if you could take either job, if you could take TCU or Oklahoma state, which job would you take? Mm. Here's the thing about TCU. And this is, to me is the most troubling thing for TCU moving forward is that SMU is kind of good now. Yeah. And SMU is really interested in being the team of DFW. Yep. Um, which was the one feather in TCU's cap. I mean, they're still the Power Five program there, but you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> if their home turf becomes somebody else's home turf, uh, Gary Patterson's pretty much all they've ever known, uh, apart from like, you know, the twenties or whatever. Um. Yeah, it's hard to say. Um, I think I would choose Oklahoma State, honestly. I, I, because with Oklahoma, I think you have more options at Oklahoma State. The yeah. TCU, 
you have to recruit Dallas and you have to recruit the rest of Texas as best as you can, but you really have to recruit Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if you get, <laughs> if SMU has built a wall, um, what do you do? Whereas right. with Oklahoma State, you, you have options. You can, you know, you can recruit in state. You can look for gyms um, that OU is ignoring because OU is recruiting at a national level. Um, right. You can expand into, uh, you know, the St. Louis area or the Kansas City area. Those places are close enough to Stillwater for it to matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, with TCU, it's like you need to be winning Dallas and. For, well, first off, you're not going to win Dallas because you're already competing with OU and Texas in that area. But you better be at least third. Right. And if SMU is going to out recruit you there, it's bad times. And I well, don't and know. It's not, do. even, it's not even that SMU has to out like recruit them. It's just if they're taking a little bit of what they were getting before, mm-hmm. it makes your job that much harder. You know, and that's right. that's the problem for for TCU. And like. You know, we obviously know TCU is having offensive problems, but their defense is also not what it has been like, and it right. hasn't been a couple years. So it's, I think that, you know, they might be in a downward spiral and, you know, Gary Patterson's not getting any younger. And there's a lot right. of times, there's a lot of examples of coaches being at programs for as long as he's been there. And sometimes it just gets to a situation where you can't fix it. And yeah, I think, I think Oklahoma State and TCU might be running into that situation right now. All right. How many um, – Spencer Hall posited this um, on Bomani Jones' podcast at the beginning of the season. Um, it's about 10 years, most places. It's about 10 years, and then a change should probably happen. Yeah. And you look at Oklahoma State, it's getting up there. It's what, 15 now? How long has Gundy been there? When did Gundy get there? I think it is. I think 12. 05. I think yeah. 05 here. So it'll yes. be 15 years. Right. That's maybe overdue. TCU is certainly more than that, I think. Yeah, for uh, sure. The one was his first year. Right. So you, you know, you're talking about these are long tenured coaches. And, you know. I, I've seen I've seen Oklahoma State fans online talk about a perceived apathy with Gundy. Um, I think even he might have talked about uh, his, his, talked about an apathy within the program last year. Um, yeah. Like this is like this is just stagnation. This is what it looks like. Um, with yeah. Gary, you know, with Gary Patterson, uh, you know, I still think that you know, schematically, um, the four-two-five is probably the best way to defend the offenses in the big 12, but the offenses in the big 12 are getting better and they're getting more diverse. And they're also like, you know, as there is a coach who is known as the best offensive coach in football, who has resolutely owned your ass and his ideas are now spreading to other parts of the conference. Um, Like, you know, we're running into a situation where, you know, maybe, you know, Gary Patterson's defensive, you know, knowledge is not going to be up to stuff snuff moving forward maybe like you know maybe he is gonna like i don't know maybe he needs to bring in somebody else to work with that or maybe tcu needs to bring in somebody else and try something different yeah i want to apologize for if you hear noise because 
it is raining like extremely hard where <laughs> I am now. And yeah. Yeah, it's just really loud in my room. So. Yeah. Apologies. We had we had some thunder earlier. Um, I'm not getting yeah. any noise from you, by the way. So that's good. Okay, that's good. Um, uh, nice to rain. Rain, by the way, I think is probably the cause of the schooner's accident, which we've just completely glossed over, um, so, and not an unequal balance of weight in the rear. <laughs> um, anybody who watched yeah. CD Lamb yesterday will tell you that it was clear the field was slicker than people expected. Um, wow. Certainly, you look at the ruts that the schooner left, and you're wondering if maybe the ground was soft and slick, and that yeah. had something to do with it. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty. I mean, we were both there. Did you see it happen when it did? I literally missed it. <laughs> I looked down. Um, I was able to see it. The like, I was able to see it hit the ground, but I missed it tipping over. Okay. Um, yeah, I was I was fortunate enough to to be watching it, and yeah, it was cool. I mean, I'm glad that. I mean, I'm not glad. Well. I mean, I'm kind of glad it happened because, I mean, nobody got hurt. Nobody got so, hurt, so we're allowed to say it's funny. It's a funny thing, and it'll be cool to be like, oh, yeah, the next time it happens, you can be like, oh, I was there the last time it happened. So, right. Just those kind of things. But, anyways, um, let's, uh, let's talk about Texas because right. I, I have things to say about that fucking football team. All right. And so my thought watching that game was this is what happens when you come into a season with a completely unrealistic expectation for your team. When you have national championship aspirations for a team that's probably an 8-4 and four football team, whenever you lose those aspirations, the probably the there's going to be a big chance for a letdown, right? Right. And that to me is what happened against Kansas is that this stupid football team with this stupid football coach and this stupid quarterback, they came out and they were like, Oh no, our, our season's over. We lost, we lost two games. Now we can't make the playoffs, which we were supposed to do. And then they laid an egg to Kansas because of that. And mm -hmm. that is what happens. Like if you come into a season and just think, no, we need to be realistic about things and not be stupid and think that this shitty football team should somehow make the playoff against all reason. Um, then you, you open yourself up to be have a complete meltdown against Kansas. And, you know, you're a college kicker away from losing to fucking Kansas at home. Like that defense is shambles. Texas yeah. is basically a significantly they're just a worse version of what OU was last year right um yeah just a mess um uh, amusingly a very difficult um <laughs> it's a good I'm sure everyone in Austin is extremely pleased about the existence of the Lawnhorn Network today I will say that um, because it meant that there was not too many eyeballs looking directly at this while it happened. Um, but, hey, do you happen to know the last time Kansas led Texas in Austin? Uh, was it like 1997? It was something? exactly 1997. Yeah. So that was, what, 11 matchups ago in terms of yep. uh, Kansas and Austin? That was 
1997 was who was even at Texas in 97? Was that still um, Mac Brown? Okay, he was already there. Oh, yeah, it was pre Mac Brown. So, oh, okay. Um, yeah, I this is a Texas, they are they're just they're Texas, they're the most disappointing football program in the country, and that's just what they are like. And mm. they it is honestly pathetic to watch because. I mean, seriously, we had to sit through weeks and really months. They've been, they were talking all offseason about how this was their year that they were going to beat us. Right. The instant, they, the instant they frantically put away a disinterested Georgia. Yeah. They thought, oh, yeah, this, this next year is our year. They don't deserve to be on the football field with us. Like, they're nothing. They are, like, they are so profoundly lucky – that we didn't beat them by 28 points. Right. And they need to go shut the fuck up, get their shit figured out, and get back to us because they just are not there. They're not going to make the Big 12 championship game. They're probably the fourth or fifth best team in the Big 12 right now. Right. And it's, it is really funny that this is happening with Tom Herman, who is sort of like – if the goal for Texas is to be, you know, back, quote unquote, whatever that means for a team that has won like what five conference championships in the last like 20 years, um, you know, the uh, or, you know, it's worse than that. Um, but the point is, like, if their goal is to get back to whatever they're trying to get back to and be this dominant program that expects to win football games like that's the exact situation in which Tom Herman is terrible. Right. Like Tom Herman has found all of the success in his career as a head coach by being an underdog. He has never performed to expectation. Like then this was the perfect example of that. Like this is a team that thought itself above its opponent and was completely wrong. Um, You know, like the by the by the end of the game, um, you know, it was pretty clear that. You know, in terms of talent, Texas's offense was just not going to be slowed enough by Kansas's defense for it to matter. But like it was the same the other way around. And that should scare everybody. Todd Orlando, like they're going to they're they might fire him this year. Um, yeah, well, they are. They're definitely on track to have the worst defense in the history of Texas. Um, right. And that's obviously not getting better. They almost gave up 600 yards to Kansas. Um, and you know, the, unlike Oklahoma, it's not the head coach's brother that's doing this. So yeah, Todd Orlando is probably on the hot seat. I would, if I were guessing, I mean, I can't claim to have a pulse of the Texas Longhorn nation. I would guess that most of the people in that fan base want Todd Orlando fired today. Yeah. Uh, you gave up 48 to Kansas, so they're probably super done with him, but, um, you know, and this is the guy that was brilliant and, you know, had Lincoln Riley figured out last year. Like, God damn it. It's just, it's still, it's really great. Like it was really disappointing to watch them pull it out last night and, and get right. the win. But it's right. just so freaking funny and embarrassing to like consider yourself an elite program and think, you know, this is a week after the dumb shit coach came out and said, it just shows how close we are. To teams right. like Oklahoma and LSU, like the two times that they've, you know, the two best performances to them this year is probably their two losses, and those performances right, which it, are as good as the score indicated. 
Right. And again, that's classic Tom Herman. You know, he's going to put all of his eggs in his basket. It may, you know, it makes perfect sense that um, his defensive backs play the way they do. It makes perfect sense that, you know, Sam Ellinger is the quarterback that he is because, um, you know, it's <laughs> it's just not about putting a consistent product on the field. It's just about like showing it to somebody else who thinks mm-hmm. that who rightly thinks they're better than you. And, you know, everything else is it doesn't matter. Um, and so, yeah. It's really amusing to see this program that spends an unfathomable, really an unconscionable amount of money on college football um, and get absolutely nothing from it. Um, And I hope they keep doing that forever, and I hope it never, ever works. Um, Yeah. They're they're just pathetic. Like, in, like... They, they talk about all the time how, how great Sam Elger. I, like, went on Twitter, and I, I wanted to see some reaction. And I think the general consensus among Texas fans right now is that if not for Sam Ellinger, they would be just one of the worst teams in the country. He's what's making them, like, average to above average. If I was and, Devin DuVernay, I'd be pretty mad about that. Yeah, well, yeah. It's just hilarious to me, though, that they're they're clinging to fucking Sam Ellinger as the guy that's saving them from being terrible. Mm-hmm. Instead of thinking about, what if we had a quarterback that could make throws down the field instead of just chucking it up to receivers? Like, what if we had a quarterback that could throw over the middle of the field, right? Right. Like, what if we had a, a big-time quarterback? Like, and they, They're not thinking that, hey, this guy might be part of that problem. It right. might be little bit on him that our offense is so elementary because this is all he can handle you know like i don't know it's just it's one of those things that i just i'm very entertained by the whole reaction of of texas fans and just the idea it makes me so happy to think about the idea of you know however probably fifty thousand texas fans in the cotton bowl last week that thought when the game started they were about to win this game you know Mm -hmm. like it just the whole thing is it's delicious and I I am very excited to watch them go get their ass kicked by Iowa State and probably Baylor and shit. They might lose to fucking TCU this weekend. They're a fucking shit show. TCU's a shit show too, but it's at TCU. Would not surprise me in the in the least if Gary Patterson figures out a way to shut down an elementary school offense. All right. Well, he's going to notice that according to like the Big 12 bylaws of 1997 or whatever. Um, actually, Texas is illegal. And so that's 15 yards every snap. Um, yeah, no. The, and the, the thing about this game is that Kansas, like Kansas, there were a lot of poor starters from Kansas. They had two kicks out of bounds in the fourth quarter. Yeah, they had two kicks out of bounds. They had a field goal block that was returned or an extra point block that was returned for two points. They had a field goal that was blocked. Kansas should have won the football game. Kansas outplayed them in essentially every way. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I will give some credit to Sam Ellinger. He played. He had almost 500 yards of offense. If he had not done that, they would have lost the game. Good for Sam Ellinger being able to really come with his best stuff against Kansas at home. Good for right. Sam. That's a really great performance for him. Really proud of him. It's yeah. <laughs> um, elsewhere in college football, um, you had 
Wisconsin losing to the Illini, um, which was perfect. Um, I loved every second of that. Um, Wisconsin sort of just the same old team. It has a defense that can stop other slow teams and, uh, you know, a good running back and a quarterback who will absolutely let you down when you need him to. Um, I, I will eat this up for the rest of my days. Um, they're going to get pantsed by Ohio State twice. So, um, hey, let me just... Yes, I think that is going to happen. But... Wouldn't it be the most college football thing ever, the most Big Ten thing ever for Wisconsin to beat Ohio State this weekend? Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, absolutely, definitely. And we don't – we think Ohio State is maybe the best team in the country. Like, I don't have a good grasp of who that – but we also don't really know. Right. Ohio State has not been truly tested this year. They're similar to Oklahoma in that way. Right. Um. But, yeah, I don't – I think Ohio State will pants them, yes. But I'm not going to just be shocked if Wisconsin comes out and their defense looks incredible and Justin Fields all of a sudden is not this Heisman candidate that we've seen so far. So, mm. I don't know. It, I, it'll be interesting to see. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I'm interested in that for sure. Yeah. We need to talk to uh, – because right. that was a thing that happened. And I think, you know, we're kind of getting to a territory with Tua that, you know, he's he's got a little bit of Steph Curry ankles situation going on. Right. Um, you know, this is the second pretty major ankle injury he's had. And, you know, never a good thing. Like, it, it seems like he's going to be back by the time they play LSU. But, I mean, if Tua's not healthy... And if he's not at, you know, close to 100%, I don't think Alabama can beat LSU. Right. Um, now, so here's, here's, the here's the interesting thing to me about Tua is that this is his other ankle. Really? Do, how does that make you feel about it? Do you feel better or worse about it knowing that this is a different injury? I feel probably better about it like because I would feel that you know if your ankle has been pretty healthy beforehand, you're probably going to be – able to recover a little faster, I would think, but um, it's still, I mean, it's concerning that, like, the two times his ankles have kind of been in danger, you know, they've there's been a not insignificant injury to them, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm pretty confident that Mac Jones is not it. No, no. Like, I don't think Mac Jones is it. If... Surely, um, you know, they're they're probably going to beat Arkansas anyways. You know, they don't even need to throw the oh, ball yeah. to beat Arkansas. Um, yeah. But if Tua somehow isn't ready for LSU, do they just put in Talia? I don't I don't know, man. Like, I, I don't know anything about his brother. I do not know anything like I right. for all I know, he could be terrible. And the only reason why he's there is because he's Tua's brother. I really don't know enough about him to. I mean, give- it's not it's not like he wasn't a highly rated recruit. I think, true. you know, he you know, he's a part of the Elite 11, um, but like certainly not, you know, he wasn't 
Spencer Rattler, and he wasn't Bo Nix, that's for sure. I think it's pretty safe to say that Alabama's backup quarterback is not as good as it was last year. <laughs> right. I agree. Um, and very concerned, I think, is how I would be if I was an Alabama fan at the moment. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I, I do think they're better than LSU. Um, I think LSU's defense is, you know, we talked about like not really where we come to expect them to be, but like Joe Burrow is a person on fire. Um, And that has been the thing that spells doom for Alabama. Um, Mm -hmm. It is also in Tuscaloosa, which helps. So, I mean, it's going to be the biggest game of the season. Like it just is. Absolutely. When does the uh, playoff rankings come out? I think it's next week. I think it's after week nine, question mark. Right. This is this next week is nine, right? Right. Yes, yes. Yes, okay. yes. Um, I th- next week, I think there might be like a fake show this week to kind of prep for next week. Yeah. I think I'm there's so a real old. chance. Yeah. Um, it would not surprise me if LFU was ranked number one in the playoff rankings going into that I with the win over Florida. I think they will be. I think LSU yeah. will be ranked number one when the playoffs right. So number one LSU going into number whatever Alabama, you know, probably in the top four somewhere, but who knows? Um, Honestly, it it could be number two. Like seriously, right? That like nobody would bat an eye. No one would bat an eye if they were number two. And it was number one LSU coming to number two Alabama. Yeah, number three probably at the worst because Ohio State could beat Wisconsin, and that might put them at number two. Right, but and I, Ohio State. I, Ohio State also has decent wins against, um, like Cincinnati, and uh, yeah. Yeah. So, like, I'm confident that yeah, I think it'll probably be LSU number one because of those wins. Hmm. You know the, you know the fucking Texas win, the Florida win. You know, right. I think, and well, and. They play Auburn this week, so if they win that game, that's another. You're right. After that, yeah, LSU will go into will almost certainly go into Tuscaloosa ranked number one, which is, um, you know, that's that. What a huge game in general. Actually, going to be really interesting to watch for once, which I'm really actually excited about. I can't believe I'm now excited about this game that's going to happen in like three weeks. But yep, yep, literally three weeks away. Same day as the uh, the OU Iowa State game. Mm. That's one of those where I really, really want that game to be on at a, I mean, not, I don't want OU's game to be at 11, but I do not want OU's game to be on at the same time as Alabama LSU. And I'm confident that will be a night game. Right. Um, I mean, I guess it could be the 2.30 slot on CBS, but. um, I, I, yeah, I can't imagine. You're talking about, you know, one of the biggest games of the past few years surely it will have the primetime slot well yeah and i i mean because the thing with you know interesting thing about like with the tv like it'll be on cbs because cbs gets to pick their number one sec game that just is right. a thing. and cbs gets one double header a year and they always use it on lsu alabama except this year they used it on georgia uh notre dame right so already used that double header so it'll be interesting to see if they're able to make kind of an exception because there's been some talk that you know they gave espn uh florida and lsu and 
So that'll be interesting to see if they're able to kind of turn that into, hey, we we helped you out then. Let us get this at, at prime time, you know? Right. Yeah. I can't believe we're talking about the TV politics of a game <laughs> involving of the Alabama LSU game three weeks from now. Um, but this is what you get when you come to the Oklahoma drill is the real analysis. Um, speaking of analysis, uh, let's talk about the Wildcats. Kansas State? Yeah. Do you have anything? Uh, we're going to win this game. Um, I'm very, very confident. There is not a scenario that I can construct in my brain that will cause us to lose this game. Mm-hmm. We're a better team than them in every single way. Um, yes. They, I do think it will be interesting to see how the defensive personnel is used in this one because Kansas State, you know, a little similarly to, to Kansas, mm-hmm. they they do a lot of I-formation stuff. So I think we might see some more true 3-4 stuff that we saw against Kansas, which means right. might, might mean more David Aguebu, which I'm mm-hmm. excited about. Yeah. Uh, so I, it might just mean a little bit more, you know, different defensive personnel. But I mean, we're going to win the game. Like it, it's just going to happen. Skyward Thompson's terrible. Um, it, it just, I don't think there's. I think we could turn it over five times and win the game. Like I'm dead serious when I say that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's. They're not going to be able to do enough on offense, and they're not going to be able to do enough on defense. And yep, th- that that is the entirety of the game. There's no more. <laughs> That's all the game. Is those yep. two? So, um, they now, according to SP Plus, they do have a decisive lead in special teams, and by decisive, I mean that their special teams accounts for 0.2 more uh, points against an average opponent per game than ours does. So, there you go. There's your there's the feather in your cap coming into this one. Um, no, at this point, you're just it's just about like motivation at this point, honestly. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, and you you hope that you know, starting out shaky against Kansas, which was a weird game, and mm-hmm. <laughs> you know ended up being a decisive victory anyway. So it's kind of annoying that I sort of feel ambivalent about it. Um, but that they're gonna be fine. Um, and they're going to, yeah, I'm not worried. I I feel confident. I think Jalen Hurts kind of, he had a couple, you know, the Kansas game and the Texas game were a little bit uncharacteristic. And I Mm -hmm. think, I think we're going to see an extremely efficient Jalen Hurts for the rest of the year. And that means that we're going to win the rest of our games because the only way we can lose is if he just throws like six pick sixes, you know, like it just, it's just not, it can happen. Here to, here to me is the thing about Kansas state. Um, You look at their defensive line it's not good. It's really actually quite bad. Um, you're talking 80th in the country at this point in the season for line yards per down, mm-hmm. uh, 57th in terms of line yards on standard downs. Here's the big one, 112th of line yards on passing downs, which OU is not afraid to run on passing downs. Um, they are. Um, they have given up every single power situation so far this year. Uh, they are 68th in, their, in terms of stuff rate. 94th in terms of sack rate. They won't be able to get pressure. And if they can't get pressure, it's done. It's over. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to win this game. I would bet anything on it. Mm-hmm. You know, like seriously. Um, and it's it's not going to be close. It's not going to be a close game. 
I think we cover the spread. I think we're favored by 18 and a half right now, question mark. Maybe 19 and a half. I think we cover that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're really hitting our stride as a football team. And I think getting out of Texas undefeated is kind of, you know, like it. I think it's go time. And I think everyone knows it on the team. And, you know, we're, we have a bye week the week after this. So it's not like there's a look ahead to Iowa State potential. You right. know, like have a whole extra week to prepare for them. So, yeah, I'm not even remotely concerned about this. I'm looking forward to watching it. I'm sure we will play fine. I, it is entirely possible that Dave Pash and Greg McElroy are calling this game because it's an 11 a.m. ABC kickoff, which will be yeah. fucking miserable, and I will hate yeah. it a lot. Of it. Yeah, it's going to um, be awful. Um, but, you know, those guys can fuck off, and I might just watch it on mute. Um, right. But yeah, maybe maybe next week we maybe next week we stream our own commentary. That might be illegal. I might have to look into that. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go 55 to 17 score prediction. Um, yeah, I I almost don't think we'll score that many because I don't see the reason to. I I think it's this is probably like a 40. I'll say 45 14. Right. Yeah, Just sure. yeah. Um, yeah, I don't like, there's, there's just not anything else. And what's interesting about this game, the answer is nothing. It's not an interesting game. I hope that, I hope that, uh, we see more design plays for Jaden Hazelwood. I hope we see more Trajan Bridges and Theo Weiss. Uh, one thing I really liked about this game, um, that I made mention to you during the game was there was a drive relatively early on, um, where we had the young guys rotated in, um, and, and not even to run design plays for him. I don't think we even actually, uh, passed either Weiss or Hazelwood on or um, Bridges on that drive at all, um, but they were just, they just got in some experience with some perimeter run blocking against ones. It was you mm-hmm. know I thought it was really smart. Yeah, no, I think so. I think we're going to see more more and more of those guys as the year progresses. Um, it, it's so it's so weird. Like it, you know, we talked about at the beginning. Like this is what you get when you pair a defense with this offense is that just every game is uninteresting. So good. And now that our defense is maybe a top 20 unit in the country, like that, this is just it. Like when we play teams that we are profoundly better than they don't have a path to making it a game with us. Right. Their path before was, yeah, our defense is terrible. They can probably score every possession. That's not the case anymore. Right. Right. I hate that I hate that we have become um, that this podcast has just become like an announcement every week of like, hey, oh, your game's going to be boring. Um, but the, I mean, this is what it is. This is what it is to be one of these death machines is you're going to win. You're going to win all these games. And, you know, the, there will be highlights and the highlight videos will be fun and cool. But this, the result is not going to be in doubt. Nope. Um yeah, so I I don't know. You're just gonna have to learn to enjoy um, the game more for uh, just getting to see incredible things than for any sort of tension at the resolution. Uh, and that's why uh, we at the Oklahoma Drill are happy to announce uh, the creation of the NCAA Champions League. Um, <laughs> yep. It's. <laughs> I on I almost feel it, you know. I almost feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, because 
you know, this is one of those things is if we end up in a situation where there are just, you know, there are teams that are really good and then four death machines, um, you know, and maybe there will be more death machines. Maybe we'll end up in a situation where there are like five death machine teams, like maybe Georgia. This is just Georgia now. And they'll remember that uh, Jake from is actually not as good as Justin Fields next time around. And they'll be unstoppable, too. And like at that point, like the season's not interesting until the end. So like, you know, maybe maybe you do end up in a situation where the playoff morphs into more of a Champions League thing. And that's like what the non-conference slate for these teams turns into. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I'm literally just speculating at this point. So maybe we're maybe we're at the end of our rope. I think I think we're probably at a good stopping point. I'm glad we kind of got back to our our roots of doing an hour and a half with just two people. That's you know always fun. Right. Uh, not that we. I mean, obviously, I like having other people on, but it just. Oh it's yeah, like, it's always it's great. Like we love we love Sam. We love Nathan. Yeah, it's just like the old days, getting back to right. talking way too long about college football with with just the two of us. So right. Uh, speaking of which, it is kind of a Jeremy Grant contract here, so. <laughs> I am very, I am very excited to watch NBA basketball. I could oh, not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I sort of half suggested to Sam that maybe it's an, it's an NBA podcast week. Um, we'll, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but yeah. Anyways, thank you, everyone, for listening to the Oklahoma Drill. Um, we're happy to have you all. You can subscribe to us on the Apple Podcast app, or the Google Play Store, or on Podbean, or really anywhere you get your podcasts. It's a, you know an RSS feed. It's flexible. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at PURD, P-U-R-D underscore Happily, or at RW Maxi. Um, and if you've enjoyed the podcast, leave a review or share it with a friend. And we'll be happy to see you next week uh, when we figure out what on earth we're going to talk about following another you know, wire-to-wire OU certain victory. Um, but we'll see you then. Have a good week.